Hi, I'm Danny, and you're listening to episode 3 of 10601 Sabo, Something is Wrong with My Neighbour. Before we start, I want to mark an important date. October 29th this year was 25 years to the day that Catalina Palomino was murdered in her own home. I don't know as much about her as I'd like to, but I'll tell you what I know. When Catalina died, she was 78 years old. She had lived in Laredo, Texas for most of her life with her sisters, including her nephew Juan's mother. Juan is Catalina's only surviving relative. When he was growing up, his father died fighting in the Korean War. He told Bob Ruff that Catalina played the fatherly role in his life after that. She was briefly married in her 20s, but the marriage was annulled. When Catalina and her sisters got older, Juan moved them to Houston to live with him. His mother died within a few years of moving there, and Catalina decided that she would get her own apartment to give Juan and his partner some privacy. She moved into apartment number 57 at Green Arbor Apartments, 10601 Sabo Road, four miles away from Juan. While she lived there, she volunteered with the church nearly every day, for which she was given a commendation by the Vatican. She spent time with Juan or his wife on her days off. She loved to cook and share food with her neighbours. Catalina believed that everyone was a good person. She was robbed of the peaceful retirement that she earned. Her nephew was robbed of his aunt. Her neighbour was robbed of her peace of mind. Catalina was deeply religious. She believed in eternal life in heaven. And I hope that's brought some comfort to those who knew and loved her. Rest in peace, Catalina. In episode 2, we looked at the events of the night of Monday, October 28, 1996. The night before Catalina was murdered and the earliest events of the morning. If you haven't listened to that episode, I suggest that you do, otherwise this won't make much sense. The phrase garbage in, garbage out comes from the world of computing, and it means that if you put incorrect information, garbage, into the computer, the computer will give you back incorrect information, garbage. If the statements we've been given are garbage, then the conclusions we reach will probably be garbage too. Now, generally one would assume that a written statement would be written by the person, or that instead of a written statement, there will be a direct transcript of what the person said, and the recording. We don't have that in this case. So the statements could be garbage. But I don't believe they are, and here's some reasons why. In her appeal, Jennifer Jeffley emphasised the role of one particular detective, Wayman Allen, in typing up her statements. He's essentially accused of coercing Jennifer's confession. How exactly he coerced another confession months later in front of her lawyer is unclear. Wayman Allen has now passed away, which of course is very convenient for Jennifer's advocates. You can't libel the dead. They can attack Allen's credibility and his actions pretty much with impunity. I'll get into the verdict of the appeal court in our next episode, but I need to address a misconception I've heard people come out with. The appeal court did not rule Jennifer's confessions inadmissible. It ruled two of her oral statements, one of which was a confession, inadmissible. But it also ruled that her written confession, which was typed by Sergeant Allen, was admissible. Some of Allen's methods were criticised, but Jennifer's written confession held up. There's another problem with blaming Allen for all the statements. He didn't type them all. Yes, he typed Jennifer's second statement, but he didn't type Nina, Cena and Ruby Sullivan's statement, or House and Ram's statement. They were typed by Roy Swainson. And Keith Treesdale's statement was typed by TJ McCorvey. Youngster and KD's statement don't say who typed them, and neither does Jennifer's first statement. And even Mondragon's statement, the most damning statement for Jennifer, aside from her own, was typed by Sergeant Ken Williamson. Are people arguing that all four of these officers and potentially more, use the same exact dirty tricks on witness statements, apparently without detection. Now don't get me wrong, 
I'm not saying that these statements represent word for word what people said. I don't think they do. In episode 2 I pointed out there is an inconsistency in Red Rock's statements, whereby he goes from not knowing Eva's name to describing her by name as his friend. It's impossible to know for sure how closely the statements reflect what people said. All of the statements are signed by the witness and notarised. We do know that at least one witness, House and Ram, had an error in his statement, and we know he had the opportunity to look over his statement quite carefully and to correct it. Swainson typed that Housen had a red bike. Housen crossed out red and wrote orange and initialled the correction. He also corrected a typo by crossing out an errant K and initialling and he initialled his description of Jennifer. It seems that the witnesses did have the opportunity to review and correct their statements which is another reason I believe they were generally accurate. I hope that's at least given you a basis to think that these statements are broadly accurate. I'm hoping to look further into the officers involved in future episodes to see if there's any evidence to substantiate the suggestion that they fabricated statements. The statements that we looked at in episode 2 took us up to around 9.30am, immediately before the murder. I'm going to try and set out what happened next according to the three people in the upstairs apartment first, Eva, Youngster and KD. Eva gave several statements to police. An initial oral statement at the scene, which was written down in a paraphrased form by an officer, and a second written statement, which appears to not actually be written, but typed based on what Eva said. She then gave further oral statements, which are written in the same paraphrased form as the first. As the oral statements are clearly paraphrased, I think the written statement is more likely to be an accurate account of what Eva said, and while there are differences between the statements, these are generally differences of omission. Things that either weren't said or weren't written down in the initial oral statement are in the second, fuller statement. Eva consistently describes being woken by screaming. She says she wasn't sure at first where it was coming from or if she was dreaming. She then says Youngster came out of the bedroom to ask what the screaming was, which woke her up properly, and she ran downstairs to see what was happening, followed by Youngster and KD. Jennifer was not there. Eva apparently didn't mention Youngster coming out of the bedroom and getting her up in her first statement, but I think that's a fairly small discrepancy and can be put down to the emotional nature of the day and the fact that her words appear to have been paraphrased. Youngster describes being woken by the screaming, also initially not knowing what it was, stepping over KD who asks, what's up Pharrell? Walking into the living room and seeing Eva open the door, then following her downstairs while KD comes out of the bedroom. KD describes a similar scenario. He was woken by the screaming, then heard Eva opening the door and walking downstairs, at which point Youngster gets out of bed and steps over him to follow Eva and he follows closely behind. The order of some events is different here. KD says Eva opened the front door before Youngster left the bedroom, while Eva and Youngster both say it was after he entered the living room. Youngster also says that KD was coming out of the bedroom as he left the apartment, but KD says he was, quote, one or two steps behind, end quote. I would put these discrepancies down to the fast pace of events on an emotional day, the fact that they had just woken up, and frankly, the fact that they were probably a bit worse for wear from drinking and smoking weed the night before. If the statements were exactly aligned on the order of every event, I would find that very suspect, as if they'd been rehearsed. So the three are heading down the stairs, Eva first, followed by Youngster and then KD. They can still hear screaming coming from inside Catalina's apartment. Eva shouts, quote, are you okay, end quote, and a voice replies, quote, I'm okay, I just fell and hit my head, end quote. Eva says she, quote, realised that this voice was too deep, that it was not the voice of my neighbour. It was too deep and was ragged, and it sounded like a black person trying to disguise their voice as an old woman, 
End quote. KD and Youngster both concur that they heard the fake voice, although there are some differences. KD says he hears the voice say, quote, let go of me Mike, end quote. Although he also says that he isn't sure the name was actually Mike. Thanks KD. No one else hears this. Also, Eva and KD say that only the three of them are present. But Youngster says that Jennifer's there, and also Red Rock and Housen. Jennifer says in some of her statements that she was there, but she says Red Rock and Housen had left. And Red Rock, Housen, and Gene Sage all say the two of them had left by that point. Youngster also says that it's at this point, when everyone's at the bottom of the stairs listening to the fake voice, that Jennifer leaves to go to Janet Dorsey's house, which contradicts everyone. So Youngster seems pretty clearly wrong on this, and potentially lying to try and alibi Jennifer. Now he could also just be getting the order of events wrong, but it's a possibility to bear in mind. Jennifer also gives an account of what happens here. Well, several accounts. I'll present her first accounts here because her subsequent accounts are very different. They're her confessions and we're going to look at them in later episodes. She told Sergeant Allen, quote, she saw Eva outside of the woman's door, end quote, and, quote, heard someone answering back and it did not sound like the elderly woman. Eva ran to get help. Jeffrey beat on the door to try and the woman to answer, end quote. You notice there's an error there in the transcription. It should read to try and get the woman to answer. Jennifer continues, quote, She also spoke with the woman inside the apartment after Mondragon runs for help, end quote. Unsurprisingly, no one else mentions Jennifer communicating with the voice. Now, remember that Jennifer said in the most recent account she's given of the events of that morning on Crime Watch Daily that she, quote, was in a whole nother location, end quote, Janet Dorsey's apartment during the murder. So either she was lying in her police statements she was lying on Crime Watch Daily, or she was lying in both. Bob Ruff came to the conclusion that the fake voice incident didn't happen. I'm sure you'll be very surprised to learn that I don't agree. This incident is so strange, so bizarre, that I struggle to believe Eva, who is very streetwise, would have invented it. Additionally, there are at least three witnesses, Eva, Youngster and KD. Jennifer also said she was there, so either she was there, meaning there are four witnesses, or she was told about it pretty soon afterwards. Unsurprisingly, I lean towards the latter. Eva then decides to go to the manager's office and tell them that something is wrong with her neighbour. This isn't a long distance. Pam says at trial it's 50 feet. I think it's a bit further, but I don't know exactly. I might say about 50 yards. Eva said in her written statement, quote, As I ran off, I saw someone coming up from the direction of the apartment across the street. I was in such a hurry that I did not pay attention to who it was, but I just assumed that it was Jennifer coming back to the apartment." End quote. This claim isn't made in any other statements. Let's be clear, Eva doesn't say who she saw. She said she didn't know who it was and assumed it was Jennifer. She never mentioned this person in any other statement. Not at trial, not in her first paraphrase statement or in her second paraphrase statement. It seems very unlikely that she would mention this person at the grand jury, because if she had, you'd think Colin would have cross-examined her about it, as it puts Jennifer outside Catalina's apartment, not inside it. An interesting note here, in the first statement recorded by any officer, a very brief oral statement by Jennifer Jeffley, she claims that she ran to the office, not Eva. Now this is clearly and demonstrably untrue. Eva says she ran to the office, KD and Youngster say the same, and Pam Wiley said that Eva ran to the office. It's hardly surprising that Jennifer found herself a suspect when the first thing she said to police was an obvious lie. What exactly Eva said when she ran into the office is unclear. 
In her initial paraphrased oral interview with Swainson, Pam Wiley reportedly said that Eva said, quote, the little old lady is dead, end quote. Now this is potentially an indicator of guilty knowledge. Eva shouldn't have known at that point that Catalina was dead. But it isn't necessarily guilty knowledge. Pam and others reported that Eva was emotional. The word hysterical was used on several occasions. So saying Catalina was dead could be an overstatement due to the distress of hearing the neighbour that she liked so much screaming. Also, it really isn't that much of a stretch to say that Eve would have had a pretty good idea that Catalina was dead or at least seriously injured. She heard screaming, then a voice that wasn't Catalina say she was fine, so obviously someone had hurt her. Let's also remember that this is a paraphrase statement. We don't know exactly what Pam said and that she never repeated this claim. In her second oral interview with Alan, it isn't mentioned. In her written statement, she says, quote, Eva was yelling hysterically, something's wrong, I heard the lady screaming, come on, end quote. There's an unsigned handwritten statement that was written by either Pam or Lavonna, I believe most likely Pam, which says Eva, quote, came bursting into the leasing office, insisting she heard help, help, coming from number 57. She heard banging and screams, end quote banging is underlined. At trial, Pam said of Eva, quote, she was hollering, what I could understand was, come quick, she's hurt, something to that effect, end quote. DA Glazer then asks, quote, is Eva still frantic and is she still saying stuff to you as you're going back to the apartment, end quote. And Pam says, quote, I was trying to understand, yes, end quote. It sounds like it wasn't clear what Eva was saying. When Glazer asks what she was saying, Pam responds, quote, basically the same thing. She would say things like, she's hurt, I know she's hurt. That's all I can remember, end quote. Jennifer's attorney, Coyne, pushes hard on this on cross. He's clearly trying to get something out of Pam that indicates there was some guilty knowledge from Eva, but I don't think he gets there. From the transcript, Coyne, when Eva came and approached you, she knew that somebody had been hurt, right? Pam. Yes. Coin. And she was hysterical? Pam. Yes. Coin. And did she... Was she able to tell you before you got there what injuries had been received by this person that had gotten hurt? Pam. No. Coin. But she did tell you somebody had been injured? Pam. Yes. Coin. Did you get the impression that she had seen this person? Pam. No. Coin. Did she tell you how this person knew this person was injured? Pam. Yes. Coin. How did she know that she heard someone yelling and... Pam. She heard a bang. Coin. And she knew exactly where it came from. Pam. Yes. Now, I think the transcript was incorrect at two points there. It reads, Did she, i.e. Eva, tell you how this person knew this person was injured? And I think it should read, Did she, i.e. Eva, tell you how she knew this person was injured? And the response is, yes. The next question reads as Coyne asking, quote, How did she know that she heard someone yelling and, end quote. And Pam interrupting with the answer, quote, She heard a bang, end quote. Which doesn't make sense. So I think the question was, how did she know that? I.e., how did she know Catalina was injured? And Pam responded, quote, She heard someone yelling and she heard a bang. Now that's only my interpretation, but that makes more sense than how the transcript's written. I don't think Coyne lands any blows there, except possibly a slight one when Pam says Eva knew exactly where the bangs came from. But really, it's hardly surprising she knew where the bangs came from. Catalina was only downstairs. 
I actually think this cross-examination does the prosecution's job for them and reaffirms that Eva didn't have any guilty knowledge. Pam says Eva didn't describe Catalina's injuries or indicate that she had seen Catalina's injuries. Keith Truesdale, however, said in his statement that Lavonna told him, quote, we think there's a lady dead in an apartment, end quote, while they were outside. Coyne has a lot more luck with him on cross-examination. From the transcript. Coyne. I think that you said that you got flagged and you were told there was possibly a dead woman. Keith, yeah. Coin, in apartment number 58, correct? Keith, a dead woman in 57. Coin, I mean 57. Keith, yes. Coin, and so that was the first thing you heard? Keith, yes. Coin, that there's possibly a dead body in apartment number 57. Keith, yes sir. Coin, who did you hear that from? Keith, Lavonna, Pam was across the street. Coin, Lavonna was where? Keith, walking back towards the office. Coin, and do you know who they got that information from? Keith, I believe it was Eva. Coin, so Eva had already told them that the woman was possibly dead in her apartment, right? Keith, yes. Now I'm surprised the prosecution didn't object to this, as it's not only what Keith was told by someone else, but caused him to speculate as to who gave that person the information. The judge might not have sustained the objection, but I'm surprised they didn't object. Keith indicates that Lavonna believes Catalina was dead, and it's possible that Eva told him that. He also lets this out on redirect with Glazer, which wasn't her finest moment of the trial. Again from the transcript. Glazer, did you hear Eva repeat things over and over again? Keith, yeah. Glazer, what did you hear her say? Keith, you got to help her, you got to help her, there's a lady dead in the apartment. I don't know if she said dead. Is anyone else imagining the death stare that Keith got before he immediately corrected himself and said, I don't know if she said dead. Glazer quickly tries to repair the damage by showing Keith his own statement over Coyne's objections and then asking him the same question again. From the transcript, Glazer, what are the words that Eva repeatedly said? Keith, oh my god you got to help her. Glazer, there's nothing in there where you indicated that Eva said that the woman was dead, is that correct? Keith, that's correct. Coyne then hammers the point home one more time, asking, quote, But you did testify just a moment ago that you specifically heard Lavonna or Pam tell you that there was possibly a dead lady in the apartment, end quote. And Keith responds, Yes, I did. Regardless of Glazer's attempts, it seems pretty clear to me that Keith was told by Lavonna that she believed Kathleen was dead. I also think it's very possible that Eva said she believed Kathleen was dead. As I said before, though, it's hardly surprising that they might have believed she was dead. An elderly lady screaming for help and banging the walls and then the screaming suddenly stopping is a good indication that all is not well. Certainly by the time Keith says Eva was repeating things over and over, it would be more than reasonable to believe Catalina was dead, whether she actually said it or not. It's worth mentioning that Pam never says Eva talked about the voice, but as we've established it seems like it was hard to understand what Eva was saying. In Eva's initial paraphrase statement it says she, quote, notified them of the problem, end quote. And in her written statement, it says she, quote, told the management that the little lady underneath me needed help and was screaming and that they needed to call the police, end quote. At trial, she said, quote, I told them that the lady underneath me, she needs help, she's screaming. I heard her screaming for help and someone needs to call the police. I think something is going on in there, she needs help, end quote. Perhaps Eva thought that she'd given enough information made it clear that Catalina needed help and didn't need to mention the voice. Perhaps she did mention it, but it got lost in her emotional state and the confusion of the day. Perhaps she didn't realise until afterwards that the voice wasn't Catalina, so she just told Pam about hearing her shout for help. 
I think all of those things are more likely than Eva and three others inventing the voice. So where are KD and Youngster during this time? They say they went back upstairs. KD says, quote, Eva then told me and Youngster to go back upstairs. She was worried that the apartment manager would find all the traffic going into her apartment. End quote. So, quote, Youngster and I went back upstairs for a few minutes. We didn't want Eva to get in trouble. End quote. This is a strange thing to be on their minds at that moment, but let's come back to that. He goes on to say, quote, While we were in the apartment, it was real quiet downstairs. End quote. This is odd, as the killers would have had to leave the apartment, presumably not silently. He then says, quote, We were still pretty curious, so we left the apartment again. Youngster was walking behind me, and this time I saw Jen come around the corner from the east. She was just walking down the sidewalk very calmly. End quote. This fits with Jennifer returning from Janet's. Although I'm pretty sure that KD didn't say from the east himself. That sounds like something that the detective put in to explain where he meant. Quote, Eva was standing there and I saw a Mexican maintenance man jump over the fence into the patio. End quote. So this must be after Eva ran to the office and came back. Although KD doesn't actually mention Eva leaving. The maintenance man who we know jumped the fence was Keith Truesdale, who's white. There was a Hispanic maintenance man, Luis Perez, but he doesn't seem to have jumped the fence, according to other witness statements. But it's possible. The officers briefly spoke to Luis, but he only spoke, quote, broken English, and just confirmed that he was with Keith at the time. Youngster says he saw two maintenance men jump the fence, so one could be Keith and the other could be Luis. Back to KD. Quote, Jen was coming around along the sidewalk, and now she was saying we need to call for an ambulance. We were walking up the stairs of the apartment, and we told her that somebody already did, end quote. This is all really strange. How does KD know that an ambulance has been called? A second ago, he said they were coming downstairs, and now they're going back up? Youngster's account is also extremely strange. He doesn't say that they went back upstairs when Eva ran off, but he does say when Eva got back, quote, she motioned at me and whispered to me for me and my brother to go back upstairs. I think the reason she did that was because the manager lady had told her that there was too much traffic coming in and out of her house. End quote. This fits with what KD says. Eva never mentions telling KD and Youngster to go back upstairs. At trial, the prosecutor asks, quote, Were Youngster and KD or his brother still there by the apartment when you left? And Eva says, Well, when I left, they were there. I mentioned earlier that Youngster's account puts Jennifer, Red Rock, and Housen at the scene during the interaction with the fake voice unlike Eva, KD, and Red Rock and Housen themselves. He also says that two twins, Nina and Cena Sullivan, were there immediately after Eva ran off, along with their mother, Ruby Sullivan. Ruby, Nina, and Cena all say they got there afterwards. Youngster's statements seem to be consistently at odds with everyone else. Eva then returns with people from the office, Pam, Lavonna, and Janine. At this point, we need to yet again work out who was there, and when. Eva says, quote, when I got back to the apartment, Jennifer and Youngster and his brother were standing right there, end quote. KD says, quote, I saw Jen come around the corner from the east. She was just walking down the sidewalk very calmly. Eva was standing there, end quote. This suggests that Jennifer was not there when Eva got back, although it doesn't state it outright. Keith Truesdale says, quote, I saw two young black ladies standing outside with my manager along with an unknown black male. I recognise one of the black ladies to live in apartment number 58, and her name is Eva, end quote. I assume the unknown black male is either Youngster or KD, and of course the other girl with Eva is Jennifer. Pam says when she gets there with Eva, quote, 
I recall this other young black female being outside of the woman's apartment. I can't recall with any certainty if she was standing there when we first got there or showed up shortly afterward. I learn later that the young girl I am referring to is named Jennifer. End quote. At trial, she says again, quote, I remember seeing Jennifer, and I can't remember if she was there when I walked up or if she showed up after I walked up. End quote. In my opinion, these statements broadly support Jennifer arriving at the scene immediately after Eva returns with Pam, just before Keith Truesdale turns up with Luis Perez. That's why Pam isn't sure whether she was there or not. KD sees her coming as Eva gets there, and Keith says she's there when he arrives shortly afterwards, having been flagged down for help by Lavana. I think Eva saying Jennifer was there is a slight confusion on her part, and also suggests that these things happened almost simultaneously. Youngster, on the other hand, says, quote, The two men, that's Red Rock and Housen, were still standing there along with the twins' mum. The twins are two girls named Nina and Sina who live there in these apartments. Their mom was there when I saw Eva come back. She was with about five people from the office. End quote. He then says he goes back upstairs with KD, no Jen, then comes back down. Quote, when I went down, the twins' mother was still there. Eva was in the doorway of the downstairs apartment holding her chest like. The door was open and I could see several people inside. I saw the maintenance people, a nurse and some managers. End quote. But no Jen. Everyone else puts Jennifer on the scene at this point, including Jennifer. But then, finally, she appears. Quote, the ambulance got louder and I looked towards the noise. I saw Jen walking back towards where I was from the direction of Janet's apartment. Jen asked me what happened. I told her I didn't know and walked on by toward the stairs just looking. End quote. We'll revisit Youngster's inconsistencies a bit later. Pam Wiley says when they got to the apartment they noticed the screen door was damaged and became very concerned. Lavonna ran back to the office to call for help and on her way she sees Keith and Louise and tells them to go and help. When they turn up, Pam tells Keith to jump the fence because she can't open the front door. The keyless deadbolt is on. This is a bolt that can only be put on from the inside and it's so people can't come in announced even if they have the key. This means that the killer's exit route had to be out of the glass patio door and over the fence because the front door was bolted. When Keith gets inside, he calls out that Catalina is, quote, laying at the front door, end quote. He described what he saw, quote, When I looked to my right, I saw a pair of legs that appeared to be slightly bent at the knees. Note, from where I was standing, my view was blocked by speaker. At this point, I turned around, I notified my manager, Pam, that she the lady was next to the front door. Pam then told me to open the front door. Note, before I could open the front door, I had to move a plant stand which was blocking the doorway. It appeared to me that someone could have possibly hit the lady with this object because it was made of steel and all of the dirt was on the floor next to her body. There was also something white, like a ceramic vase, lying on the floor next to her head. End quote. And for American listeners, when I say vase, I mean vase. Hope that helps. Keith mentions a speaker. I think he's mistaken. I can't see a speaker in any crime scene photos or the video, and I'm not sure what object he meant. Possibly a table? If anyone has any ideas, let me know. Danny10601 Outlook.com. Eva says in her statement, quote, The ambulance got there a little later and then the police got there. End quote. And then she later says, quote, I saw the maintenance man go into the old lady's apartment. The manager had told him before to go get the key and he had to unlock the door to get in, end quote. These are mentioned in the wrong order, 
as obviously the ambulance and police arrived after Keith had gone into the apartment, although she doesn't explicitly say that that's the order in which they happened. She also doesn't fully explain what Keith did. He did have to get the key, but she doesn't mention him jumping the fence to enter the apartment. Why not? Well, Keith and others describe Eva as being hysterical at this time and panicking, remember? It's hardly surprising that her retelling of events isn't perfect. So Keith let Pam in through the front door and Pam checked Catalina's pulse. Quote, I really was unable to tell if it was me or her because I was shaking so bad. I thought I felt a pulse and I told Keith we need a phone. This fits with what Keith said. At this point, both Pam and Keith say that Jennifer entered the apartment through the front door. But Keith says that both Jennifer and Eva entered, while Pam says in one statement that Jennifer entered, and in another that one or two of them walked in. It's clear that Jennifer went in. She stated that she went in and told Pam to cover up Kathleen's body, which Pam did, and said she recalled someone saying it. This is interesting, but I don't know what it means. It seems that Jennifer was upset by the sight of Catalina's body, which could be a sign of guilt, but equally, seeing her beaten body would be upsetting for anyone. What's also interesting is the question of who actually went into the apartment. Eva never says she or Jennifer went in, and in fact at trial she denied it. From the transcript. Coin. And you've never been inside of her apartment? Eva. Never. Coin. I am sorry, Miss Palomino's apartment? Eva. Never. Coin, either before or after the incident? Eva, never been inside her apartment. Coin, never walked in the front door at all? Eva, never. Coin, never? Eva, never. Coin, not even on the day this happened? Eva, never. As you may be able to tell from that thrilling exchange, this was at a point in the cross-examination where things were getting argumentative and Eva's stringent denial may be in frustration rather than her actively remembering the events. Keith Truesdale consistently maintained that she went in and Pam Wiley said one or two in one statement but in another and at trial she said Jennifer went in and when asked at trial if Eva went in she said no. I'm not sure who's right but I think Eva probably put her head round the door and maybe took a step or two in. Do I find that strange? Yes. It's definitely quite macabre if it was an attempt to try and see the body. It could also have been to see if she could help, if we're being charitable. I don't think it's suspicious that she went in. And if you think it is, then the same should apply to Jennifer. Particularly as she told Eva and the police that she went in over the fence and through the patio door, which no one saw her do. Eva's version of events with regard to Jennifer changes between her first statement and the grand jury. She consistently says from her first statement, that Jennifer had a cut on her hand and that Jennifer asked her to lie to the police and say she was outside with Eva during the murder. We don't know exactly what she said at the grand jury, but some of it was referenced at trial. Eva told them that Jennifer was, quote, stuffing her pockets, end quote, when she was outside Kathleen's apartment, and she confirms this at trial. She also told the grand jury that Jennifer's arms were covered in bruises, although this appears to be an error in her terminology. Coyne makes a big deal of it at trial, but Eva is very clear on redirect that what she meant by bruises was, quote, red impressions, end quote. It's still surprising to me that she didn't mention that in her first statement, and I also find it surprising that she didn't mention that Jennifer left the scene. From the transcript, Coyne, and you said that she ran back to her mother's to change her clothes. Eva, I did not say that. 
I said she went in the direction when, before the police got to the scene, when the managers was getting into Miss Palomino's apartment, Jennifer left in the direction to her mother's apartment. Another issue is the demeanour of Eva and Jennifer. Everyone agrees that Eva was hysterical or frantic, but Keith and Eva both say that Jennifer was too. Keith said in his first statement, and consistently repeated until and including trial, that, quote, both ladies were frantic, end quote. Eva said at trial that Jennifer was hysterical when she returned with Pam and the others, before anyone had even seen Catalina's body. In fact, Eva described Jennifer as hysterical five times. Pam Wiley, on the other hand, says that only Eva was hysterical. Ruby Sullivan describes Eva as really upset and doesn't mention Jennifer's demeanour. Her twin daughters, Nina and Cena, confirm that Eva was upset, but say Jennifer didn't seem upset. Coyne makes a big deal of this at trial, saying repeatedly that Eva is the only one who witnesses said was upset. But that simply isn't true. I don't know how much bearing it has on guilt or innocence for either Eva or Jennifer though. I can see innocent explanations for Jennifer appearing upset or not upset, and for Eva appearing upset. Eva testified that she got on well with Catalina, so it would naturally have been upsetting for her. Jennifer appears to have had less to do with Catalina, but it's still a horrible thing to have unfolding in front of you. So why did different witnesses report different things about Jennifer's demeanour? Well, I think the most likely explanation is the most obvious. When Keith saw Jennifer, she was frantic, as he maintained consistently, but when other witnesses saw her, she wasn't. And the point at which Eva says Jennifer was hysterical is the point at which Keith saw her in that state as well. Another explanation could be that Keith was mistaken and Eva was lying, but I think that's less likely. Once Keith lets Pam into the apartment, they can very clearly see that something is wrong. Keith looks around for a phone, finds it and calls 911. While he's looking, Pam runs back to the office to make sure that someone had already called, and she runs into a nurse who lives at the apartment complex, Doris Gibson. Miss Gibson went to the apartment and attempted CPR. At this point, there's something that really confuses me. I'll give a trigger warning here for a brief description of the wounds on Catalina's body. In addition to the blow to her head, Catalina had been stabbed in the chest, leaving several large wounds, one of which pierced her heart. In order to perform CPR, I believe Miss Gibson would have had to place her hands on Catalina's chest, but she doesn't mention the wounds in her statement. She does mention that she checked Catalina's pulse and didn't feel one, and only mentions preparing to perform CPR rather than actually performing it. She also says that the manager covered Catalina with a comforter, so perhaps she did not actually attempt CPR having realised Catalina had passed away. But in Keith's statement, he says that she did attempt CPR, and that it was only when EMS arrived shortly afterwards that anyone found the stab wounds. I'm not sure how this could have happened, but based on the interviews given, it seems like Doris Gibson attempted CPR and either didn't notice or didn't mention the wounds. Coupled with the broken vase and the broken doors, I don't understand how no one could have realised that Catalina had been attacked. Being charitable, I would put it down to the stress and the emotional nature of the events, or possibly more likely, I think they did realise, and the police's record of their statements is just inadequate and inaccurate. I don't think it's a significant factor in terms of who was involved, but it seems very strange that things could reach this point and people not realise that Catalina had been attacked. The police arrive shortly afterwards and begin taking interviews, and immediately, Katie and Youngster vanish. Eva says, quote, when the police started coming, Youngster and his brother got scared and left. End quote. This seems suspicious, but I'm not actually sure it is. Think about it. You have two young black lads, 
both still the worst for wear from a night of drinking and smoking weed, having woken up in an apartment they weren't supposed to be staying in and immediately come across a murder. I can absolutely see why they got out of Dodge quickly. Youngster's explanation, that they went off to Janet's to call their friend Richard Smith and tell him to come down to try and get on TV, doesn't ring true to me. I don't know if Richard actually turned up at the scene, but it's worth noting that he would have had a reason to be there anyway, as he was dating Jennifer's sister Kim, who lived at the apartment complex. I suspect Youngster didn't want to tell police that they were bricking it when the cops turned up, so he came up with a story. So, in summary, here's what happened that morning. Jennifer was woken up by a page and went to Janet Dorsey's apartment, where she called Craig Peters. While she was out of the apartment, Eva, Youngster and KD were woken up by Catalina screaming and shouting for help. This is the first voice, and this is Catalina. They run downstairs, Eva first, followed by the brothers. Eva calls into the apartment, and a voice answers back that isn't Catalina. This is a second voice. Eva realises something is wrong, tells KD and Youngster to go back upstairs and runs to the manager's office. The brothers go to the top of the stairs at least, possibly into the apartment, but I suspect not. She gets there and tells the staff that something is wrong with her neighbour, and Pam Wiley and Lavana Pena run to the apartment with her while Janine Smith stays there and calls 911. When they arrive at Catalina's apartment, they see the glass patio door on the ground and the screen door ripped open. Jennifer appears just as they arrive and shouts that they need to call 911. By this point, Katie and Youngster have gone back downstairs. Lavana runs back to the office in tears to make sure Janine has got through to 911 and to pass on the additional information about the doors, and on her way she sees Keith Truesdale and Luis Perez. She tells them something has happened to Catalina and they run to the apartment. When they get there, Pam has tried the front door and can't get in, and tells Keith to jump the fence, go in through the patio door and unlock the front door, which he does. As soon as he enters the apartment, he sees Catalina's body and calls out that she's lying by the front door. He opens the door to let Pam in, and she checks Catalina's pulse. She either doesn't feel one, or feels a very faint one. Not knowing whether Janine or Lavana have got through to 911, she tells Keith to look for a phone, which he does. And then Jennifer walks right into the apartment, with Eva hovering at the door. Jennifer can't stand seeing the body and tells Pam to cover Catalina up, which she does, before realising that the girls will get in the way, so she tells them to leave, and they do. Jennifer then goes upstairs with Katie and Youngster, leaving a hysterical Eva downstairs. Keith can't find the phone, so Pam runs back to the office herself, bumping into Doris Gibson on her way and telling her that Catalina needs medical attention. Doris turns up and begins to attempt CPR, but realises that Catalina is dead and covers her body back up. EMS then arrive and begin CPR themselves, but after ripping open Catalina's blouse, they see the stab wounds. By this time, Keith has found the phone and is talking to a 911 operator, and an EMS technician has to speak to the police and confirms that this isn't an accident, Catalina has been stabbed. During this time, Katie, Youngster and Jennifer come back downstairs, with Katie and Youngster shouting excitedly about the screaming they heard. The police turn up shortly afterwards, and Katie and Youngster promptly vanish, with Jennifer in tow. A crowd starts to gather, including Red Rock, Housen, the Sullivans and other neighbours. Katie, Youngster and Jen then return, perhaps when Katie and Youngster had calmed down and sobered up a little, and the police take a statement from Jennifer. That's not necessarily a perfect recounting of events, because it relies on imperfect eyewitnesses. However, I think the key parts are correct, albeit a number of questions are unanswered. For starters, why did Youngster get so much wrong? 
Well, he could be honestly mistaken, getting the events of a difficult and emotional day mixed up. Bear in mind he'd only just woken up when this happened and he'd been drinking and smoking weed all night. There's also the possibility that he was deliberately lying. I think all of these things are partly true and his lies have an obvious motive. He was deliberately trying to put Jennifer on the scene during the interaction with the voice because that alibis her during the murder and once he's told that lie things get confusing. He knows that Jennifer was at Janet's at some point so he has to add that into his story and say that she left after they heard the voice. And then, what everyone else says she's on the crime scene, he says she isn't. Because if she was, she wouldn't have had time to go to Janet's and come back. He also said that he saw House and Red Rock during the voice, which no one else did. But they were there at one point. So how did he know House and Red Rock had been there and seen Jennifer at the door? Well, I think the most likely possibility is that Jennifer told him. In KD's statement, describing what happens after Eva left, he says, Jen was coming around along the sidewalk and now she was saying we need to call for an ambulance. We were walking up the stairs of the apartment and we told her somebody already did, so we went up to the apartment and sat there for a few minutes. Youngster and Jen walked into the bedroom and talked a few minutes between themselves. I think Youngster is asking her where did she go, but I can't really hear the conversation. End quote. This is a perfect opportunity for Jen to tell Youngster that she had interacted with Red Rock and Housen, and Youngster then works them into his story. He's able to give a description of the two men because by this point he's seen them in the crowd and Jennifer can point them out to him. He also knows Jennifer went to Janet's so he throws that in there even though it doesn't make any sense at the time he says it happened. It's also worth mentioning that Youngster never mentions this interaction with Jennifer. That could mean it didn't happen, it could mean he forgot about it, or it could also be him trying to cover up the fact that he and Jennifer had talked privately and she told him about Red Rock and Housen, and potentially told him what to tell the police. As I mentioned earlier, I don't agree with Bob Ruff that either Youngster and KD fabricated the fake voice and told Jennifer to go along with it at some point before she spoke to the police. I'm not saying that it's so strange it has to be true, but I do think it's unlikely that Eva would think it was a good thing to invent. For starters, there's no reason for her to do so. By saying she was outside the apartment hearing screaming, she's already got an alibi during the murder. Why complicate it? And for another thing, I don't think anyone who's fairly streetwise would have come up with the idea of putting on an old lady's voice during the commission of a serious crime. But you know who I think might have come up with the idea? A scared 15 year old girl panicking at the realisation that she's been interrupted by witnesses during a murder. And while we're on Jennifer, there's plenty of questions about her actions that morning. Where did she suddenly appear from as Eva and the staff got to the apartment, having been nowhere to be seen during the murder? She said she was coming back from Janet Dorsey's apartment, but when KD saw her, she was telling them to call 911. If Jennifer was at Janet's the whole time, how did she know Catalina needed an ambulance? That's where her confessions come in, and that's what we'll be looking at in episode 4. Okay, I'll tell you the truth now. Thank you for listening. Please send any feedback to danny10601 at outlook.com. And remember, you can check out all the case files at jenniferjeffleycase.wordpress.com.